O'Neal deep in the post, lots of contact there. Oh, what a block by Wallace what? on a jump ball. Pistons down four, 12-8, 7-38 to play the first half. Burst from Rodney, stuck into the rim. Countdown, baby, and a foul. Reggie inside for Andre, oh. and a dynamite dunk. Pistons fans, welcome to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast. Brendan Johnson, Aaron Johnson, Ryan Pay, all here with you. It's a playoff edition here of the Palace of Pistons podcast. Detroit trailing 2-0 in the series to the Milwaukee Bucks, but they're coming home. They played a competitive game too. Milwaukee pulled away late, but the final score really does not indicate how close this game was at times. Um... But let's just kind of go in order here, right? You look at the Pistons series so far. You look at Game 1, and it was it was a disappointing effort. Granted, Blake Griffin ruled out, so you play without Blake. And you just could not get into a rhythm offensively in any way, shape, or form. Then you look at Game 2, and... You know, some guys talked before the game, and Reggie Jackson, I thought, made a really interesting point when he when he said to the media that um, we need to go out and just attack. Like we didn't attack off the rip in game one, and that killed us. Milwaukee's a team you can't start slow and fight back versus Milwaukee. You've got to hit first, and you've got to keep swinging. And that's you know, and that's kind of what is a you know, it's not exactly what he said, but it's what he was meaning, right? Um, and the Pistons did do that in game two. And they started off strong. And Reggie started strong. And Luke Kennard had a fantastic game. He shot the ball really well, especially in the first half of Game 2. But that kind of just sums it up. Detroit loses Game 1, 121-86. They lose Game 2, 120-99. They're headed home for Games 3 and 4 of this series. And we'll see if they're able to make another trip out to Milwaukee, which would require a home win. But, Aaron, I'll start with you. Just some of your general overall thoughts from the first couple games of uh, this series? Well, I think, you know, not that it needed to be confirmed, but it was confirmed that, you know, with or without Blake Griffin, the Milwaukee Bucks are a much better team than the Detroit Pistons. The talent disparity is very large, and it's very noticeable. We saw that in both the games when it came down to, uh, you know, a team staying hot, a team staying in the game. And, you know, I think you can look at game two and Detroit being up at halftime, playing as well as they did. Uh, for them to start the third quarter slow and for Milwaukee to come out fiery, ready to go, uh, you know, force a couple turnovers on Detroit, make them pay, hit their shots. You know, that was a Milwaukee team that showed that, you know, we know what the playoffs are. We know the level of play that's required. And the Pistons, not maybe to, not to say that they, you know, kind of slowed down their effort by any means, but that's where the talent just kind of played itself out with, Eric Bledsoe scoring 27, Giannis scoring 26, Chris Middleton scoring 24. I mean, and then even Pat Connington scored 18 off the bench, had eight rebounds, four blocks, three assists. He was doing everything. You know, it, it just shows that the, the talent and the depth that Milwaukee has is something that Detroit just cannot compete with right now. And it took a first half where Giannis was in some foul trouble, Luke Kennard was playing very well, Reggie Jackson was shooting the ball well. It took those kind of things to go right for Detroit to be in it in game two, but once the second half started, Giannis was back out on the floor. Uh, you know, Eric Bledsoe has been murdered throughout the first two games. He continued that in the second half of game two. Chris Middleton was the guy like, yeah, okay, you can try to defend Giannis, 
You can try to defend Eric Bledsoe. You can try to defend Brooke Lopez. But you're going to forget about me, and I'm just going to hit every single three-pointer I attempt against you. Uh, so that's a very good Milwaukee Bucks team over there. There's a reason they're a first seed in the Eastern Conference. But, uh, you know, some other takeaways for Detroit is, and I know we're kind of going to go into this separately, but Luke Kennard's a baller and, and really is playing extremely well. Uh, I think Andre has done a very nice job. Uh, so far throughout the series, especially when he's been put on Giannis. Drummond has not backed down from that matchup, and I'm very happy with the way he has defended Giannis. Uh, he stayed in it mentally, he stayed in it physically, and he's put he's made Giannis have a very tough time, something that no other Piston did when they guarded him, except for Bruce Brown. Uh, he also he had, had done a nice job on him, him and stuff. Done a very nice job on him in some limited possessions, excuse me. Um, but Really, those are the, the the positive takeaways in the way that Kennard and the way of, in the way that Drummond and Brown have played. But I, I think on the opposite end, Don Maker just has no business really being on the floor right now in this series. The way he's playing, cannot hit a shot, uh, is being exposed defensively when he gets put on Giannis. Doesn't really do much on defense besides he can alter shots at the rim, but he just doesn't do much else because he's not as quick as you'd like him to be. He doesn't have the IQ or the hands that he needs to have. And then the, the shooting. There's no shooting from this team outside of Luke Kennard right now. And then somewhat of Reggie Jackson in game two. Wayne Ellington is as inconsistent as possible. Uh, and I've really soured on him the way that he has just kind of disappeared and been a non-factor in this series. Um, and then you have Ishmith not shooting the ball well, which it's not necessarily expected of him, but he needs to at least be a serviceable shooter, and he hasn't been. You can't knock on Ish, though. Ish was really a huge part of that. You could say like that early comeback in Game 2 that took the Pistons from you know down like 14, 15, looking like, ooh, this could get ugly again, to a tie game, put them back ahead. I don't disagree, but I just want to make no, sure I, that Ish gets that credit because yeah, he was a huge part of that. I'm not saying that Ish has been bad. I'm just saying shooting-wise, he's been underwhelming. And then, you know, when you have Wayne Ellington not shooting well, Thon not shooting well, no one shooting well outside of Luke and somewhat of a, a Reggie Jackson or Kyrie Thomas when he got in in game one. This is not, there's just no recipe for success for the Pistons yeah. without them shooting a hot ball. No, Aaron, I think you hit the nail right on the head with the first statement you made. The talent disparity in this series is just too much to overcome. It doesn't matter, honestly, at this point, if Blake Griffin's in there. Maybe if Blake Griffin's in there, they could keep a game or two kind of close compared to a 21-point uh, loss and getting bl blown out by, what, 35 or whatever it was in game one. Um, but it's not going to change much. The, the talent disparity, it's, the gap is just too wide. And you're right, Andre Drummond has played defense well and he stayed in it mentally and physically with Giannis. Um, but at the same time, they really can't contain Giannis all that well. And he's still getting really whatever he wants most of the time. Everything in general for uh, for Milwaukee is coming easy. Brendan and I watched Game Two together, and it's pr a pretty easy uh, assessment to make. It was that Milwaukee was just everything was coming easy for them. And anytime Detroit wanted to do anything and they had success, they had to work hard as hell for it. So you just knew, yes, Detroit went up one at halftime, but it wasn't going to last. Because Milwaukee could literally doing whatever they wanted. The Detroit really got lucky that they were able to get Giannis in foul trouble and able to do something and pull away a little bit. Not really pull away, but get the game close and take the lead going into half in game two. So yeah, game one, that was a disaster. They That was a culture shot to the Pistons. Like you said, like Reggie said, they didn't attack. Um, they weren't aggressive. 
they woke up in game two, made some adjustments, but you can see it's just not even close talent-wise. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh. it's frustrating to watch, but at the same time, we knew this going in. Absolutely. Here's the thing. couple points. Number one, Ryan's absolutely right. We're sitting there and we're watching these games, or at least game two, and it's like, dude, they can't sustain this. Detroit goes on a little comeback effort. And they were up one and a half, right? Yes. And, my God, God, man, you know how fun this is? Enjoy it. Let's enjoy this uh, little halftime because, uh, you know, how I, quickly will Giannis just take over and this thing open back up? There are ebbs and flows to games, of course, and teams go on runs, and that's that's not the point. It was just anything and everything Milwaukee wanted to do seemingly came easy for yes. them. And anything and everything Detroit wanted to do, mm-hmm. they had to work hard as hell for it. Especially through the first, like, seven, eight minutes of the game. Oh, absolutely. Where, like, when Milwaukee efforts. was shooting 79%, mm-hmm. everything was coming easy. And, and there were several drives to the basket where we're sitting there and it's like Detroit just grinded out, got a bucket. Milwaukee comes down. Oh, we're just going to bite on that fake. No one's going to step up. Easy laying. Oh, wide open three. Okay. That's, oh, gotcha. And. It was, it was frustrating to watch for a little bit there. But, you know, there's something I said, and I mean, I, I think we were all kind of in agreement, but um, before the playoffs started, it wasn't about winning games. Like, you, you would love to steal a game from Milwaukee, right? If we were playing Toronto, we were playing Philly, we may have had a different conversation about expectations for the Pistons to win a game in the playoffs or to whatever. Versus Milwaukee, especially once Blake has been ruled out, there's not the expectation for Detroit to pull off a win versus, you know, at least record-wise, the best team in the NBA. But we wanted to see two things. Number one, wanted to see Luke Kennard and Bruce Brown get some real valuable playoff experience. And we saw Bruce Brown... He almost had his shade of Stanley Johnson guarding LeBron in the Cleveland series in 2016. Just goes out there and plays real good defense on Giannis. Aaron's blushing right now. I know Aaron that. I said that it. just to get Aaron blushing. I made, blushing. I made a YouTube video of Bruce Brown's defensive highlights. I don't know if either of you saw it, but I made a video. Is that the one you captured Stanley Johnson? I mean Bruce Brown defensive highlights <laughs> in the playoffs. Hey, that's how that's how my Twitter blew up back when the playoff when the Pistons were in the playoffs a few years ago. I got like six thousand retweets on that damn video of Stanley Johnson beefing with LeBron defensively. It was great. I'm just waiting for Bruce Brown now to take a swing on Giannis. Then he will win <laughs> the fans over. No, Bruce Brown's already got the fans over. I mean, I, that guy is that guy is I, there's I, there's something about Bruce Brown that just screams I'm going to like I'm going to be amazing, and I cannot wait to see really? what he becomes. Is it the uh, the lack of looking at the rim anytime he touches the ball in the offensive end? I will say <laughs> I will say that I think he I think he's getting better at that. He hit a three though, guys. And Come on, wow. Well, and the thing with Bruce, I think a lot of it is just the. I need to like. I need to sometimes just be the guy to like take over. Like I need to be the guy to like take a shot because I think he's somewhat passive in the sense of I know what my role is on this team. I know I'm a lockdown defender. I know I'm that fifth option with the starting lineup. That I'm just kind of out there to move the ball around. Maybe pick a pick a pick a spot here and there if I'm just left wide open at the rim. But I think he's starting to realize that when this team is just kind of stagnating on offense and no one's really getting a good look. He's the guy that can surprise you and get a quick burst to the rim. And when he does shoot, 
it's not a necessarily a bad thing. Like, eventually he's going to need to become a reliable three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. And for him to show that he's confident in shooting, that's a good thing. He needs to continue to be confident in his shooting abilities. And again, I want to, because we brought him up, I, I want to make sure that the differences between Brown and Johnson are known because Johnson came into the NBA and it's like, yeah, this guy can defend, but he was also a lottery pick because of the way he scored the ball at Arizona. And there was a there was pressure on Johnson. A higher expectation. And an expe- yes, and an expectation on Johnson to come in and score the basketball at multiple levels. And Johnson wasn't able to do that. Brown got drafted in the second round as high, you know, kind of a, a high-reward type of guy that can really defend right off the bat. But his offensive game is known not to be there. So anything he does offensively right now is all just kind of gusto. It's all kind of an extra benefit. Um, but that also kind of leads me into the other point that I, I, I mentioned to you guys on Twitter. I wanted to talk about Stanley Johnson and Thon Maker. People still want Thon. Stop it. Do not raise that. Come on. That was I'm crazy. Not, I'm playing devil's advocate. I wonder I'm if people saying, still want Thon instead of Stanley I'm just Johnson. Saying, I'm just saying. No, I've seen it on no, Twitter. People no. are saying. That they no. would rather have Stanley Johnson over Thon Maker because of the way Maker is played. Hey, those are the same people saying that Andre games. Drummond was lazy in Game Two. Okay. Well, I'm just saying the votes right now: 69% for Thon Maker, 31% for Stanley Johnson. So it's more than just how many you know, burner accounts people. did you do to vote? No, Stanley Johnson. I'm, I'm a Thon Maker. Right? <laughs> I think Thon, I think there's something there with Thon Maker. I just want to pull it off. Are we both? Are, are is everyone on the same page? It's not even a question, you, my man. I am so over and. Beyond and past Stanley Johnson. Okay, I there's, just there's, I get it. No, I under, I understand. Maybe he's giving you. A hard time. Oh, I understand. Oh man, it. right in the gut. I, I voted Don Maker. There's no Stanley Johnson being on this team compared to Thon right now would add no value to this. None. Everyone's saying that he could check Giannis. No. Here's the he thing. Can't. Even, I think you can make no, it a little harder on him. Maybe a little harder. But I think it, the best option would have been Andre Drummond anyway. So nobody, nobody can guard Giannis. Right. Well, here's the thing. Even if, you know, Stanley was a slight defensive improvement, you know, there's still, if he's if he's not scoring the ball, if he's still struggling in, you know, the variety of ways that he did well in Detroit, then we're all still having the same conversation of why do we keep Stanley Johnson? What are we doing? At least with Thon. You look at him, he's, what, 21, 22 years old, and he's got about a two- to three-year window where, you know, if you develop, A, if you get him stronger, I think that's the first thing. you got to get him stronger. you got to get him a little laterally quicker. Um, you know, he's got to be able to defensively become more of a presence. His offensive game is not there, but by getting stronger, it will help him in the post, and defensively he needs to improve. Then the next step is really working on that jump shot and building on that jump shot. And once he does those two things, Thon's got a chance to be a real good player in this league because he already can protect the rim. He can get up a little bit. He'll block some shots. So Thon has some noticeable things. Hey, if he can do these things, he could be a legit player. Like one of those, you know, wow, we're really lucky to have Thon, Blake, Andre. Or, you know, possibly even the when Blake, you know, at the end of his contract, if we could keep Thon around, you know, Thon can step into that starting role. He has that potential. I'm not saying he'll do it, but he has that potential. I, I, I don't foresee that with Thon. I think Thon could be a really solid backup. And you're probably right. I think that's the more likely case. But, I mean, I guess if he hit on everything, that, then yeah. Yeah, maybe that could it, happen. It, in comparison to Thon Maker and Stanley Johnson, it all starts with physical maturation. 
Stanley's physically where he's going to be pretty much the rest of his career. Thon still has a long, long way to go. And if Thon can hit that physical peak and work on that strength and put that weight on and work on that lateral movement and strengthen his hands, it completely changes who he is as a player. Yep. And I was, whereas Stanley Johnson, like I said, that physical maturation for him is done. He is what he is physically now. Sure, maybe you can put on a little more strength, become a touch more quicker or whatever, but he's pretty much where he is. Mm-hmm. He's matured. Thon is still so immature physically, and that's that's where the potential and the excitement really is with Thon. And I'll, and I'll say one more thing about Thon because this is my fault. I did get us off track because we are supposed to talk about the Pistons' best player in Luke Kennard right now. Yeah, I was, I was waiting to make my point. The, the final thing about Thon is uh, the IQ with him is still lacking, but I, I it's been noticeably better as of late. He's definitely shown a... Uh, uh, a better understanding of how to play basketball over the last few weeks of the regular season. That guy needed like he was he wasn't wrong when he said I need to get him get out of Milwaukee because I need to get some time. You can see like you just said over the past few weeks, just him playing more. He's already growing as a player. Sure, it's not where we want it to be, of course, but you can see that IQ is already getting better. Mm-hmm. Now it's just to the point where what does he do in the off season to improve that IQ? Well, improve the physicality as well. You know, so then the other point of this was with Bruce Brown, you wanted to see Luke Kennard get a real good playoff experience and uh, take a big step as a player. Well, he's shooting 52%. Uh, He's got a combined 40 points between the two games. He shot the three ball real well. Um, You know, let's see, he was from three, four, five in game one, um, finished with 21 points, so four, six in game two finished with 19 points played really well in the first half um that to me is invaluable just to have that opportunity to be in playoff basketball to be in a spot where you're looked at as a main offensive threat you know one of the the lead guys on the offensive end and he's been able to deliver at a very good percentage i'm sorry but i know i know the belief that Luke Kennard needs to be with the second unit because he's the scoring weapon with them. But if these playoffs haven't shown that even without Blake Griffin on the court, that Luke Kennard is not only the Pistons' second best scoring option, maybe third if you want to put him behind Andre, and he's also crucial to their spacing and playmaking capabilities, the way the offense is run with him on the court, if it if this series, these two games, haven't shown you that Luke Kennard needs to be the stu- sharp, starting shooting guard for the Pistons for the rest of his time in a Piston uniform, unless he becomes crippled one day, then I don't know what to tell you. He is playing the way that Stan Van Gundy envisioned him playing when he drafted him with the 12th pick. Because he is not afraid to shoot the ball. He is just saying, screw it. I'm going to get us this bucket. Mm -hmm. And that's really nice when Blake Griffin isn't on the court. Because Blake Griffin, when he's on the court, is a guy that's like, all right, I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to get us this bucket because our offense is going to shit and we need to make a play. Luke right now, in the first two games, even though they weren't necessarily close games, was going to just take control and do whatever was necessary to Mm -hmm. keep the Pistons uh, on the board, keep him scoring the basketball. He's shooting a hot ball. He's getting good looks. He's shown his playmaking abilities. He's doing it all. And, and 
it's so apparent that this team is better with a high dosage of Luke Kennard, and you want to get Kennard playing with Blake Griffin, with Andre Drummond, with Reggie Jackson, assuming he's back next year. You want to get him playing with your core because you need to have the best teams have the best chemistry. They all need to have that elite chemistry. And the two-man game between Kennard and Griffin can be drooling. And the two-man game between Kennard and Drummond in the pick and roll with Kennard's ability to just stop and pop it and then Drummond's roll ability to finish at the rim and Kennard with his ability to oop it to Drummond. It's all there for the makings of a special tandem just like the special tandem he has started to create with Blake Griffin when they're on the court together. So it's all coming together for Luke Kennard. And if if he's not starting the rest of the series and next season, then it's a serious problem unless the Pistons have a James Harden-level player starting at shooting guard for them. For me, that narrative that Luke Kennard needs to be with the second unit was absolutely correct throughout the season. Um, but once Blake Griffin went down and your main scorer and contributor on the offensive end went down, you needed to replace that somehow. And doing that with Thon Maker, I mean, obviously he's the one who fills in at the position, but that wasn't going to cut it. Something needed to change offensively. And for me, Luke Kennard moving into the starting lineup needed it to happen over the offseason. But Luke Kennard has shown he just threw that right out the window. He's ready to go now with the starters. He's ready to be that guy. Like you said, the pick and pops, the shooting from the outside, taking control, playmaking, all of it, it's there for him. And he's ready to do it. And if he's not starting Saturday night, which I'm, I'm positive oh, yeah, he, he will, will be. He I'm will. positive he will be. But for any reason he wasn't, I would be wildly upset. And very anti-Dwayne Casey at that point. Because Luke and I has proven, no, this didn't need to wait till the offseason. Mm-hmm. I'm here now. I am our guy as our starting shooting guard now. Yeah, and I just want to clarify, I was on the same page with you that Kennard needed to be with the second unit. It, it, during the regular season just because that's the way the Pistons were were kind of playing but once it kind of came to desperation mode with Blake Griffin out and Kennard filling in the way that he has it just kind of shows that there's like the makings of something really special there and you look at uh, the ratings of Kennard on the floor with Drummond and Griffin and they're a plus 2.1 on the court together add in Reggie Jackson they're a plus 1.5 so that group works that's your core you want them to all be able to play together and be the starting unit and, and you can maybe fill in that final gap with what we're hoping to be a solid two-way small forward that has some size, can defend and shoot, and then you have the makings of a very competitive starting lineup there. And then, yeah, the bench, what will it be? Maybe you're able to swing another offensive-styled wing in, in free agency, or you're able to retain Wayne Ellington and he comes off the bench alongside Bruce Brown and Ish Smith, whatever it may be. Yes, you need to worry about the second unit, but you also need to put your best lineup out on the floor when it, when it comes down to it, and you should be starting the game with your best lineup on the floor, uh, and, and Luke Kennard is part of that best starting lineup for the Pistons. So you talk about not wanting Luke to come out of the starting lineup. Are there other rotational changes that you want to see for the final, I shouldn't say the final two games of these series, but the expected final two games of this series. Keep it small. The Pistons play have played much better when they're playing with a smaller lineup. The small ball lineups we talked about like August. Ooh. Well, and it's... I know. It's it's different with Blake Griffin out because they're kind of forced to it with the way that Thon Maker has played, but uh, there's no reason that, that, that they shouldn't be seeing more of a lineup with Jackson, Kennard, Ellington, Glenn Robinson III, or you could even go with Langston, even though I don't think Langston has played well enough to be in the game uh, in this series. You could also go with Bruce Brown. Uh, and then you can go with Andre. You can go with Glenn at the four. You can go with Bruce at the four. And then with Luke and Wayne and Reggie. I just think they're 
if they go small, they're playing faster. Thon hasn't provided anything so far in the series, so they might as well go small, try to put the best offensive mm-hmm. weapons on the floor and see if their offense can compete with Well, Milwaukee. that's the thing, right? You're not going to get a ton of old boards. You're not going to get a ton of second chances. They're not because Milwaukee's your, the best rebounding team in the league. But put your high-percentage shooters out there and give it a go. Yep. I just – I said that I thought Glenn Robinson III was going to get that time this series and he was going to produce, and he's playing well outside of shooting the ball right yeah. now. If he could just shoot the ball at a better percentage, it changes this series. I know. He's been taking a fair amount of shots. If his percentage, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to win or anything, right. but it does change the dynamic of the series a little bit. I'm looking for Glenn to step up with that shooting prowess here. Mm-hmm. It's crucial. Yeah, and, and, and he provides, uh, you know, other things. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When you look at what he has shot in years past, where he's a 38% three point shooter. There's just kind of that expectation that he can do that, and if he can do that, when you mix in that with his ability to move off the move off the ball and cut to the rim, he's probably the best piston on the roster. Sands the Reggie Bullock trade at doing that. You know, he's a is a versatile defender. He rebounds. It, it would be the makings of a guy that would really fit in well. He's just got to start knocking down shots. That's that's it. Everything else, he's playing well on the defensive end. He's moving. He's cut. Everything's working except the shot isn't falling right now. I feel so much more comfortable out there with him out there right now than I do with Thon. Even even with Glenn missing, I'd rather I have Glenn still out there feel more com- Thon comfortable because Thon is a disaster on defense yeah. right now. He's a flailing foul. You know he, he can't defend anyone, and on offense, it's you know he's he's standing out on the wing and breaking threes. It's not like he's cutting to the rim. It's not like he's in position for an offensive rebound. He's just kind of standing around. Mm-hmm. So there's just no positive of Maker on the floor. Well. Let's put this scenario out there, right? Pistons come home for Game 3. And we're talking about what to do in the presumed absence of Blake Griffin. But let's say that Blake Griffin is, you know, potentially able to play Game 3 and 4, right? Let's say that they, they give him the okay to come home and play. Do we want him to play? in this series and I know some people have a very strong take about this and and I've got my thoughts and I really do think that they align with I know Ryan's I don't know Aaron how you feel about this I think we're all on the same page but if Blake was able to go do you even want him to play in this series if Blake is 100% healthy you play him if he's 100% healthy if he's not 100% healthy, I get that he wants to play. I get that he's been on the training staff and the coaching staff to allow him to play. And I get that he wants to show that a leader is on the court even when he's wounded because that's the kind of mentality he wants his team to have is to play through the wounds and be a tough team and be that Detroit-style gritty-ass team. But if he's not 100%, there's just no business for him to be out on the court. You save your long-term health because, again, like this podcast has been saying since August, it was never about this season. It was always about the year after. It's always always been about the 2019-2020 season, right? So do not risk hurting yourself if you are not 100%. Now, if you're 100%, the city of Detroit would be electric to hear Blake Griffin's name called out by Mason for the start of Game 3. For him to start, and if the Pistons win a game, it would be monumental for the city because of the backlash that the Pistons have received from their flagship station. The city needs a Detroit Piston win, and Blake Griffin increases the chances of that being possible. But it shouldn't happen if he's not 100% healthy, and there's no risk 
for re-injuring the injury that has kept him out with his left knee. Does the thought of Blake Griffin leading the Pistons to a playoff win in an emotional victory, hyping up the crowd, get your juices flowing, just get give you goosebumps, get you ready to go? Yes, of course it does. But we are all thinking so emotionally right now. You're right, Aaron. If Blake Griffin is 100%, of course he plays. But guess what? Not even being part of the organization, you can 100% tell he's not even close to 100%. You cannot play him. You absolutely cannot. I get we want that victory. I get we want that emotion. We want to be rocking. And he wants to be out there as the leader. Like you said, that wounded dog. Doesn't matter. You can't keep me down. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to give it everything. I get that. And that's great. And that's awesome. And I love that. But it's not about trying to win a game, honestly, in this series anymore. Because they're not going to. They don't have a chance in this series. Don't risk Blake Griffin who's not 100%, not even close. You could see it in the clip online with that leg brace he was wearing. Not even yeah, a yeah, knee exactly. brace. Leg brace. There is no point in risking his long-term health just to try, to try and maybe sneak out one game in this series. That Because if you even trying, he's not 100%, and then he gets hurt, what a waste everything's been. Listen. The, the reality is, if Blake Griffin's 100%, you know, the training staff will have to clear him, and you're not going to tell him, hey, you can't play. You know, they, I, I get that. But, Ryan, I think your point's right on. He's not 100%, and you don't have to be a medical expert to realize it. The bottom line is, if Blake Griffin plays at anything less than 100%, it's irresponsible by the organization. Blake is your long-term piece. He is your guy that you're looking at, hey, I need two more years of all-star level Blake to get the value out of this, to, to, to get the most out of you know the Blake Griffin era in Detroit. You need two more all-star caliber seasons out of him. He played a lot of games this year. 72, 73 regular season games, something like that. Which for him, I mean, it's remarkable. He hasn't done that in five years. You cannot afford to let this guy go out and take a chance at further extending an injury. To have a, a repeat of what basically happened in OKC. Go out, ball out, drop a damn near 50-burger, still lose the game, and then cost yourself by re-aggravating the injury. It is just not worth it. I do agree. A playoff win would be a great moment. It would be an outstanding moment. And I think that there's there's a lot of people that would have to at least step back and say, well, we did say they were going to just get swept and you know completely crushed in this series, so I'll give them credit for winning a game. But you have to you have to look. That's a short-term investment. An, an emotion, extremely short-term investment. There's you know what? Sure. You could you could take this take this coin and you could maybe turn it into two coins. But what you're saying is, you know what, we're going to wait. And and we're going to really, really reap the benefit of this. It sucks that Blake got hurt. It sucks he's had to miss these playoffs. Because, you know, some could say he single-handedly at times willed this team into the playoffs. But it, it's just not worth it. And, and anybody that's sitting here saying, 
you're stupid. How would you not let Blake play? He's the reason we got here. You don't let Blake play because you want to get back here and you want to be better and you want to have a chance to win here. And I'm not saying win an emotional game and steal a game from the Bucks. I'm saying you want to get back to a realistic position that you're competing for a playoff series. And then the next step is competing for the Eastern Conference Finals. And then the next step is competing for an NBA championship. That is how you build a winning organization if that's the direction the Pistons are trying to go. Right now they have no chance to win this series. There's no reason at all to potentially injure Blake Griffin further. For one one win For in a one series. Win. That makes no sense. If that's your line of thinking, God help you, because that's not a logical wet line of thinking. It's just not. We gotta put him out there, man. I know he's injured, but we gotta win one game. What are you talking about? Let me put something out here, too. I don't think even if Blake plays... That Detroit wins game. I don't think so either. I really don't think so either. I know the home crowd's going to be buzzing, but I have a very strong fear that on Saturday, Milwaukee, after the Pistons got off to that hot start in game two, are just going to come out with like brass knuckles and start punching, bro. It could get ugly early. Just as a statement from Milwaukee. You aren't coming into our arena and trying to give us a game. And uh, it'll be... I would not be surprised to see a strong start from Milwaukee in Game 3 in Detroit to just quiet the fan base early. With or without Blake Griffin, the Pistons would need so much to go right for them and so much to go wrong for Milwaukee to even steal a game. Uh, So when when people are surprised that Detroit is down in this series and and is losing by as much as they have in the first two games... I really just don't understand it because not only was the talent disparity known before the Blake Griffin injury uh, when they lost four times with Blake Griffin playing, but what did you expect once he was out? Did you expect Don Maker to just put up the production that Blake Griffin put up? Mm-hmm. And people are like, "What? You know, this Detroit team is just embarrassing to the city to go out and lose by as many points as they have, but they're playing the best team in the East. They're playing the team with the best record in the NBA. They were going to lose with or without Blake Griffin. It was going to be tough to win one or two games in this series with Blake Griffin. So, uh, you know, game three, Detroit, if they want to win, is going to have to come out, and they're going to have to be shooting the ball hot, and Milwaukee's going to have to be shooting the ball cold, and the Pistons are going to have to stop on the throat early, and they're going to have to make the Bucks concede a game. I don't think it's—I don't think Detroit's going to be able to go tit for tat down down the line with the with Milwaukee late in the game, and. Uh, you know, pull out a close win. You know, that's going to be really tough to do when Milwaukee has as many shot makers and as many playmakers as they have, and Detroit, without Blake Griffin, really only has one, maybe two, in Reddy Jackson and Luke Kennard. You know, it's it's just, it's, to me, it's funny that there is that, that faction of Pistons fans that still are convinced Detroit could, you know, Blake came back, tie the series up, blah, 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 like... This is what happens when you back. Into I don't the know. Playoffs. I don't. I haven't. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen. It's, a, it's a minority of people, but I still. I, I bet there are still some people out there. And I know. I you know. I also found it very entertaining, um, early on with the Pistons. Like you know, okay, hey, they're competing in this game. Oh my God, guys, we got a game. Blake Griffin comes back for game three. Oh my God, we're going. <laughs> Boys, <laughs> relax. Even Aaron throw Pistons and five out there. 
<laughs> oh yeah, I would be I'm not <laughs> serious. I mean, dude, this is all a setup. You know, Blake's gonna come back. He's gonna like have. He's gonna have gone on like some secret uh, trip out to some isolated country and got some you know special procedure done. He's gonna come back in Iron Man armor. He's gonna put up fifty, fifty, and twenty. And the Pistons are going to win game three, and then they're going to win it in six. You know, you're boxing six, Pistons in six. What do you mean? So, do we think, we don't think they can get a win over the next two games? What 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 would make this a successful series? Just play close. I mean, you got to continue to see the likes of, um, you know, you got to continue to see the likes of Kennard play well, Brown play well. Uh, I'd like to see Drummond have more of an impact offensively. I think. Milwaukee's done a really good job kind of honing in on him. Uh, but I'd love to see him kind of just take that step of, I don't care that you're putting this much defensive pressure on me. I'm going to continue to be an issue for you. And, you know, not that he's played bad on the offensive side. I just think there's more there with him on that side of the floor. But the team's just got to remain competitive. you gotta you got to see the guys that are going to be on this team down the line make plays and, and show that they belong in the playoffs. And, you know, those guys that, that don't play well, a la Langston Galloway, you know, Wayne Ellington. Um, maybe they don't have a future with this team. So I'm looking for the young guys to continue to show that there's something there with this core, there's something there with this team that down the line, once Blake Griffin's back, Detroit can go into the offseason, maybe make an upgrade or two, that this is a team next year is going to come back and, and be a problem and not going to just back into the eight seed. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Uh, just being competitive and then seeing the young guys still remain to do well. Uh, remaining to do well in the games. Luke Kennard, you know, shooting well, still putting the points up. Bruce Brown bringing the energy off the bench, being a lockdown-type defender. Um, you want to see Andre be the man, just I am the top dog right now without Blake Griffin. Feed me. You want to see that. Um, but in general, I mean, that's kind of what makes this series successful the rest of the way. They're not winning a game. Um, if you ask me, my opinion, I don't think they're winning a game. But if they can keep it close and Luke Kennard continues to do well and Bruce Brown still looks good and Andre Drummond is dominant and plays like a dog, I mean, I'd, I'd, be, I'd feel good about it going into the offseason. One final point. There have been some people that have called out Andre Drummond for his performance in Game 2. It's been labeled lazy. Listen, as an Andre Drummond critic, and I have been, I don't think it was lazy. There were a couple plays where he was soft. And there were a couple times where it was like, Dre. But that happens in every basketball game. To every player, every to player. Every, in every game. So. so to say lazy is just not fair. And, you know, if you actually watch the Pistons on a consistent basis, you would recognize that Andre Drummond has taken a large step in the second half of the season. It's very the nice Pistons. to hear Brennan talking positively about Andre Drummond. Just let me it's make my point. It's very nice. You've grown. You have, you have in the you way have that grown. Andre you Drummond grown. has grown, in the way that Andre Brendan, Drummond has grown, Brendan Johnson grown. is always a realist. Always a realist. I say that all the time. I'm a realist. The reality is, Andre Drummond has stepped up his game in the second half of the season. I still have some doubts. There's still things to discuss. But he stepped up his game. And I'm proud of you. There were times in that game where I was sitting there with Ryan in game two and going, dude, he's being he's just soft right now. He's being weak. That's not lazy. And you guys said right before the show, there's a stark difference 
between weak or soft and lazy. Because soft could mean, you know what, he's got to just continue to get stronger. He's got a step that he can take, right? Whereas lazy is old Andre Drummond, in my opinion. Andre, I think, has kind of moved past that phase. And all signs show that that's left in the past. So if you're going to call Andre Drummond lazy, then just also add to your point that you really don't watch on a consistent basis and that you don't know the steps that he's taken. It's it's also funny that the and this was a war on Pistons Twitter yesterday. We're seeing a lot of wars break out on Pistons Twitter after, you know, I'd say maybe a month or two of kind of calmness and, and uh, peace. Within oh, it was, the, it was the calm before the, war the storm. Zone. You knew the storm and was coming in the playoffs. It's funny because we had winter the, is coming. Winter is come. <laughs> winter is come. <laughs> we had the whole Mike Valeni segment on ninety seven one where he bashed the Pistons and then, you know, the Pistons go down two zero in the playoffs. And you have another uh, talk show kind of network thing, network account come out, and I'm gonna call them 97.1 Light because they're kind of going with the shame shtick that Drummond's lazy, he doesn't work hard, he he can't be a positive player, uh, you know, and the Pistons aren't good, and and, and all that stuff. And so they're really just trying to uh, copy 97.1, and Pistons Twitter was not having it, and. The account that went on, went off and said all this was very uh, adamant in the fact of saying that Drummond was not or Drummond was soft and that Pistons Twitter because they think Drummond's a good player, even though all the numbers say he is a good player, uh, is sort of some sort of cult following that will never let a bad word about Andre Drummond be said. Now, while I think there's there is some truth to that, let's be fair. Uh, yeah, there is some truth I was to that. To say, I think there's some some minor truth to that because. I know from my experiences when I pointed out, especially during the first half of the season where Drummond was making some mistakes, I got absolutely blasted for it. Um, but And that is unfair, by the way. And I think that's something Pistons Twitter needs to acknowledge. And we've talked about it before. You can criticize players and still be a fan. You can criticize players and still like them. Okay, And you can it criticize is players okay. and still understand that they're a very good player. Right. Every player gets nitpicked unless you're Steph, and Steph Curry. And also, you can criticize players but acknowledge when they're doing something right. And you can give them that credit. And then you can also retract statements if they step back. But when they're doing something right, you can give them that credit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I'm in agreement. I just think yesterday was very comedic and how that all came about and it's very um I, i'm not I, it's very you can just see how hard this 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 group is trying to be the 97 one uh, light version it's kind of it's just it's comedic honestly that's all i gotta say to it no brendan you're right if you've watched any semblance of pistons basketball this year you will see post-injury the step the massive step Andre Drummond's taken. And that's not even to say before that step he was lazy. Because he wasn't. It's just post-injury he took another step in his game. Mm-hmm. Um, he matured a little bit. He matured. that Something about that injury matured him some more. And, I mean, put some respect on this guy's name. He's, 
He's playing very well. Sure, he's had some moments where you're like, oh, Dre. But everyone has those moments. Mm-hmm. And of and honestly, Dre is going to be under the spotlight in the city in terms of basketball more than anyone else. You know, And so that comes with the territory for him to being nitpicked. Um, but to get the level of hate he gets um, and to get the narrative that he's lazy, uh, it's so unfair. It's an old take. It's you an old watched. take. If you were saying that two years ago, I'd be like, "Well, yeah, you're damn right." Hey, game but two now. Is, game two is probably the first playoff game that that or first Pistons game that maybe has been watched in a while for some. But you like it's such a bad take, and it's and it's a lazy take. I mean, watch the game. He he's taking it to that top three center level play in this league. He really has, for the most part. I mean, he's playing very well. I mean, I don't. You can criticize, like you guys were saying, you can criticize and still be a fan. You can criticize and still acknowledge they're a very good player. All those different things. But to just go with, no, he sucks. He's lazy. Get him out of town. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, we are seeing a star, like, growing in front of us right now. And sure, there's times when he has a little step back or it's a little bit, come on, Dre, start playing. But it's not lazy. It's, I, I don't know. It's frustrating to see people with that take because yeah. it's just not true, especially when he's done more than his part outside of Blake Griffin this season to carry the team and get them into the playoffs. When you're only willing to tweet out something negative about a player, you're telling on yourself, plain and simple. I mean, straight, like you're not wrong, and – it no no we're not hiding it at all. Brendan and I are very harsh in critics of Andre Drummond, but it's because we know he can be yep. so damn good when in this league, and we just want to see it on a consistent basis. And, he, and he's starting to show it now. Second half of the season has been very consistent for him. Bottom line: when you are paid to be at that level, you're expected to be at that level, and it's 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 something that as a, a fan, as a podcaster, a, whatever, as a member of Pistons Twitter, you can hold him accountable. But be fair in doing it. So, wow, that was uh, what a good pod today, Brendan. Guys, everyone just noticed the growth of Brendan freaking Johnson. The personal growth is outrageous. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's on par with Andre Drummond's growth. Oh like, my god! Wow. Oh my god! This is, everybody. I mean, honestly, Brendan like, maintains status as a realist. Brendan, Finally, gets some credit for it. Brendan says a lot of wrong <laughs> things on a daily basis, and. For him to come out said and, no one and ever, say, by the way. and say something smart, uh, you have to give him the respect that he's earned in that in that area. I better get a nice tweet this week. <laughs> this asshole always tweets something negative about me every single week. Uh, I'm gonna. I hate media, Brendan. Brendan drives me nuts. He's just another ass clown. But here's the pod <laughs> every single week. <laughs> I better get it. I better get a nice tweet. Here's the pod. Here's the pod. Make sure to take a listen. Yes, listen to it. I don't know. I better get a nice tweet this week. So the Pistons got two playoff games coming up Saturday, April twentieth, and then again on Monday, the twenty second. They win a game, they go back to Milwaukee. Plain and simple. So um, Detroit. We'll see if they can extend it. Obviously, we've talked about it. We don't think they will. That doesn't mean it's an unsuccessful series. If 
they're able to play close. If Andre is continuing to have a good playoff series and Luke Kennard and Bruce Brown continue to get that good, positive experience and play well in the postseason. Just enjoy it while, while, while it lasts. You know, let, Let's have some fun the last two games of the series. And if they win a game, let's have it for five, you know, three more games. You know, just have some fun with it because at the end of the day, if you really wish the Pistons were like, had the 14th pick instead of the 15th pick and didn't get to play in the playoffs, you're a jackass. So, well, there you go. You're a jackass. <laughs> so, before you go, okay, don't listen to Aaron. You're not a jackass. But please do like, rate, review, subscribe to the pod. Follow us on Twitter at Palace of Pistons, on Instagram at Palace Pistons. You get back to Twitter. Aaron's on there, A. Johnson NBA. Ryan's at Ryan Pay. Myself is at Media Brendan. No, I do not suck, contrary to Aaron's tweets. Okay? Debatable. We're on Facebook as well. Um, you're a jackass, but please like our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I said you're not a jackass, but do please like our stuff. So, uh, with that being said, playoff basketball. Enjoy it while it lasts, and we will see you next time on the Palace Pistons podcast. Pistons.